Hey guys, this is Adrian Vandenberg, all the way from Holland. You may know me from uh, my years with Whitesnake or my previous band Vandenberg and my present band Vandenberg. And you're listening to Talking Blues. And blues, that's where it all comes from, as far as I'm concerned. Tell me about your connection with the blues. Well, that, that's actually how I started, and it's still the red thread in my um, in my music. You know, um, I always describe my kind of music. Um, uh, it's really loud blues with a little bit more melody than most classic blues has. But you know, I grew up on um, early Eric Clapton, on uh, Freddie King, BB King, especially Albert King, Buddy Guy. You know, all the stuff that um, that I still play actually, and. I, I, I started realizing later in, in my career that I basically translated the blues that I that I started with um, along the lines um, how my life kind of developed, you know. Um, I, I love mu mu music. I, I play a lot of music at home. Not a lot of rock but, um, that much. I play a, a rock in the car mainly, but at home I play every a lot of blues. Um, Fado music, the Portuguese blues, I call it. Um, uh, gypsy jazz, which is also blues related to me. Um, and classical music. And it, it, it is a big bowl of all kinds of music that's made with uh, out of emotion. So I think that's what the blues is all about. Blues is, for me, like a seemingly simple translation of an emotion. But it's not as simple as, as a lot of people think. Yeah. And, and that's, I get into discussions like that, you know. You go, oh, anybody can play the blues. No, not. Listen to the difference to, to like, a, you know, a couple of 16 year olds who, who, who try to play uh, Red House by Jimi Hendrix or um, The Sky is Crying or whatever. And listen to Steve Ray Vaughan play that. There's like a world of difference between that. Listen to, B.B. King, they go, well, you know, that he plays simple notes. Yeah, but there's a Dutch saying that goes, um, in simplicity, it shows the master. And that's exactly how it is, you know. Blues, seemingly simple, but if you don't feel it, then then it's nothing. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's like a, you go to a restaurant, for instance, um, where there's a great chef. And he can make like a steak and some potato, mashed potatoes. And you go, holy cow, this is amazing. And you go to a road, uh, like a roadhouse and, and they throw a, a piece of shitty quality meat on it and, and, and they grill it to death. And, and there's like a couple of acid, acidic <laughs> potatoes on the side. You, well, it's, it's two things that come from the same source and one that, one is awful and the other one is amazing, you know, so the same goes for the blues. I totally agree. Um, you, you grew up in, a, in an environment of music. Your, your dad played the jazz. Your sister played classical music. Music was all around you as you were growing up. And I believe you started off in classical. Is that correct? Um, no, not really. Actually, um, the classical music, uh, because my sister and my dad, um, although my dad also played jazz on the piano, they, they played a lot of uh, Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, Chopin, all that stuff. So that stuff 
has always been echoing around in my head. So a lot of people think I had classical training, but I can't read a note. Oh, um, okay. It all comes out of my fingers, and I think, oh, this sounds pretty cool. And and sometimes when my dad was still alive, he, he said, for instance, the, um, the the last little bit of my solo in Burning Heart, which is, is like one of my signature solos, according to everybody. He said, the last part is influenced by Bach. He says, it could have been played on a cello. I didn't know. It just <laughs> it came out of my fingers and I thought, oh, that's cool, you know. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing because I got asked regularly by uh, conservatoriums um, that train people in classical guitar to give like a, like, a, like a guest lesson. I go, man, I can't do that because I don't know what I'm playing. All I know is... I, I'm, I'm translating to my fingers what I'm hearing in my head. And, but, but you started I, with a piano, did you not? Yeah, yeah. I, I fiddled around on the piano. I didn't get any lessons, but I wanted to play blues and boogie-woogie on the piano because uh, a cousin of mine from England, he could play boogie-woogie on the piano. We go, wow, that's cool. <laughs> I loved it. So I tried to figure it out, what, you know, what I heard and, and what that cousin of mine played. So I, I fiddled around until I heard electric guitar on the radio. I go, whoa, that's what I want to do. So um, a, a neighbor of mine, the guy was um, five, six years older. He played me uh, a John Mayle record with uh, Clapton, the, the, the famous Beano album. And I thought, whoa, that's what I want to do. You know? and, and that's what, that was my first connection with the blues. And um, when I was a little bit older, I, I could figure out in uh, through books and and, and magazines uh, where he had it from. And of course, as we know, you know, Albert King was. I mean, he literally copied a couple of uh, the, the the solo in Strange Fruit. I found out a couple of years later is note for note um, an Al uh, an Albert King solo. Uh, I I can't remember the the song. Really. Was it a woman? I don't know. But it was it's one of the Albert King solos, note for note. And everybody thought it was a Clapton solo, but he got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder which came first, your love of music or your love of art? Um, simultaneously, actually. Um, when I was a kid, when I was about five, six, my mom said I was running around the house with one of my dad's cigar box with uh, elastic bands around it and go, bow, bow, bow. and at the same time, I was... As soon as I got back from school, I, I was drawing and, and making little paintings. And um, the whole weekend, you know, in the weekend, when, when the weather was, was crappy and I couldn't play outside, I was inside, you know, making drawings and paintings and all that stuff. And, and at one point or another, you kind of had to not decide, but you decided that it would be either music or art. Well, yeah, um, my, when I was about uh, 17, 18, my dad said, well, listen, you know, I gave up you being a uh, scientist like my dad was. Um, he, he was a professor in uh, engineering. And he said, I gave up because you, you, you didn't really do your best at, at school. You know, I just kind of zigzagged around it. And uh, I was just busy on my guitar all the time or painting. My dad said, you know, you can do a study whatever you choose um, and judging by what you do all the time, it's either going to be music or, or a painting, but I want you to do, to choose a study where when you finished it after five or six years, you have a 
diploma, a, a license, whatever you call it in the States, a diploma in Holland, where you can actually have a, a job with, where, where you can make your living with. And I thought, well, if I'm going to end up teaching, I'd rather teach um, painting and art than uh, music because I don't have the patience. I didn't even have the patience for myself to figure out solos from the guy that, that I love to listen to. After a couple of minutes ago, oh man, I'll figure out something that sounds like it a little bit, that was good enough for me, you know? And there was so much melody in my head that I had a, I spent my time figuring out what I heard in my head. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to teach something, it's going to be art. And, and I actually taught art for a short while at a high school. Uh, but I got kicked out because I was dating the girls in my classroom and uh, the parent board didn't like that. I was only three years older. I didn't care. You know, I thought, why not? But the parents didn't like it. So they said, well, you know, you're too much of a free spirit to teach at our school because it, it was a pretty, pretty strict school. So, yeah, and I started working as a graphic designer and, and selling my paintings. And that's how I financed making demos with Vandenberg in the beginning. Um, with the money I made from from my paintings and stuff. So tell me about the music scene in Holland at that point. I, I know that I presume by then Golden Earring and Focus had done well, but yeah. I don't know what the overall scene was like for a musician such as yourself. Well, I put, I put together uh, my first band called Teaser, which was very much based on, uh, on the bands Free and Bad Company, who were two of my all-time favorite bands. And... Um, I just um, didn't really, Golden Earring, of course, was very well known. Um, and the period when they really made rock, like in the period of Radar Love and, and the period before that, um, I liked them. But um, I was more into focus, not, not particularly, well, especially for the musicality of it. I was not really into that early stage of Prague, you know. Um, but Jan Ackerman, as we all know, at that moment, he was like one of the world, world best guitar players. He was light years ahead of his time. And I was in awe whenever I could see him live at the university where my dad taught, for instance. I played there regularly. I went in early to look, on, to look what Jan was doing, but he was so far ahead. I, I had no clue what he was doing. It was so sophisticated. <laughs> Later on, I found out that he was heavily influenced by Django Reinhardt, you know, the, like the, the amazing gypsy jazz player. So that made a lot of sense to me, but I, I couldn't figure it out. It was too far away from what I could figure out of my guitar. Later on, I realized, you know, when I got technically a little bit um, more advanced, um, I could kind of figure out what kind of stuff he was playing. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, just like everything I've ever heard, there's always going to be echoes in, in the back of your mind of people that you, that you lo love listening to, you know. And, and in my case, there's so many players, like Early Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Samia Ackerman, um, Leslie West in the United States, Albert King, Fr uh, Freddie King, BB King, G Steve Ray Vaughan, all that stuff, they always echo around. And you make your own little pie out of it, I suppose, you know. I wonder at what point did you think that this you would make a career out of being a musician? I never expected it, to be honest, you know, because I, I was making a nice living as a graphic artist and a painter and, and teaching some, some art at, at schools and stuff. I thought that was going to be my living. So when um, the, the first demos of Vandenberg at the time 
went out and, and, and ended up on the desk of uh, the president of Atlantic Records, he called me up right away. He said, um, I want to come over to Holland and see you, guys, see you play live. We have no gigs yet. So I, I rented the local um, theater and Phil Carson, the president of Atlantic at the time, he flew over to Holland and he wanted to sign me right away. So I went with him to Hilversum, the, which is like the LA of Holland as far as show business, business goes. And uh, there was a meeting from uh, Atlantic, the, the local, you know, the local office of Atlantic. And the first thing he did was cursing at all those people over there. He go, you guys, you have this guy with his band talent. You didn't even, you didn't even notice him. You didn't even sign it. I'm gonna sign that guy, uh, that band. You're gonna ha do, kick some serious ass with promoting that in Holland, and I'm gonna keep an eye on you because I am going to release this internationally and promote them in the United States and England and everywhere. And those guys were like little boys who were caught by their hands in a cookie jar. You know, they go, oh, sorry, yeah, well, uh, rock is not very big in Holland. Next thing what happens, Burning Heart gets released and it became, you know, like a top 10 in Holland. So those guys, man, whenever I ran into them later on, they were so embarrassed. They were so sorry. <laughs> guys, you couldn't really help it, you know, because that, that music was not on the radio in Holland. What was your confidence level like at that point? Well, I was I was quite confident. I knew it was pretty good, but I never could have expected that I would get successful internationally. I thought, you know, we'll probably have a good run, you know, in Holland and um, play clubs and, and that kind of stuff. And but I'm definitely keep it going to keep the the art base um, in mind because I never ever. Well, the good thing is I still owe it to my dad. The good thing is that I chose um, to study art <clears throat> because I didn't want to get into a situation where um, trying to be professional musician to to make concessions because uh, what I wanted to play is the music that I still play and nothing else. So I thought if I would have had to try to make a living at the time without what happened afterwards, and if I went, would only have, I, I would probably be and uh, teaching music in that state and that's not something that i wanted to do you know I, I don't have the patience for it so it would have been kind of weird so i owe it to my dad that um that i didn't that he uh he said well you know one of the two and of course i chose art um in order not to have to make concessions to the kind of music that i love playing and, and that really that's why i'm still here to, today uh, talking to you you know because I still make the same kind of music uh, based on my love for, for, for loud blues that, um, that I did back then. Did, did the success of Burning Heart surprise you? Yeah, very much. Um, I knew it was a good song, but um, I mean, there's so many great songs everywhere, you know. Uh, what surprised me most was that it became an international hit. I go, wow, me? Can't read enough, you know? I wrote the song pretty quickly because on the demo that I was talking about, um, I thought, oh, it would be cool if there's a rock ballad on it because I've always loved rock ballads, like, you know, like um, the Led Zeppelin ballad, the combination between acoustic and electric always triggered me, you know, um, all the way from from um, uh, Stairway to Heaven to um, um, other Zeppelin ballads where that combination of the dynamic between electric and acoustic, that definitely was an influence on me. I mean, I heard that in, I think, 82 or 83, and, and I was in the States, in Florida. I remember the first time I heard it, 
And I just thought, who is this? And I'm <laughs> I'm from Canada. So for whatever reason, it didn't really do well in Canada. It didn't get much coverage where I live in Toronto. But in Florida, right. when I was visiting there, they played the shit out of this thing. And oh, wow. I, like I was an instant fan as soon as I heard the song. Um, right. And and I listen to it now, and it still stands the test. It doesn't feel dated. It it feels like it's very current. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, thanks very much for that uh, compliment. That's for me. It's um, I think so too, um, and mainly because the emotion is um, is timeless. You know, it's like this person being jealous of, in this case, you know, the guy. Um, she she ran off with another guy and and he wonders you know is does it, does it feel the same when uh, like when we were to- madly in love now you're with a guy and and you're je- you're you're eaten up by your jealousy because you lost her you know that's that's like a like a, a million year old emotion and um it it translated um, and I must say the singer at the time. He did a good job with that song. He he was he was quite good in the in, in those days, and um, it kind of fell fell together that in 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 an organic way because we recorded the album in Jimmy Page's studio quickly. It was recorded in in about a week and a half and, and mixed in a couple of days, and that was it. You know, so wow, we really have the time to to keep polishing and polishing and and and, and, and until you you polish the life out of it like a lot of people do. Uh, so you throw it, you throw it on tape, and that's it, you know. I I know that British blues, British rock was a big influence on you. But what what did it mean for you when you first toured the U.S. with Vandenberg? Oh man, it was amazing because um, just like the first tour in England, where most of my influences come from, um, and of course indirectly those influences come from the states. It's, you know, it's, so it's universal loud blues, and then. Um, I was just really surprised, you know, being able to tour in the United States and go, man, I never would have expected to to be able to do that. And 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 like, and especially when I joined Whitesnake, touring all over the world, touring Canada, touring the United States, going back to the United States because every place was sold out on the first round. Going well with Vandenberg, we we went to Japan twice, so it went really well over there, and uh, we did some we we played some Euro, some European. Um, country but not a lot um because there wasn't a lot of promotion in, in some of the countries funnily enough because it was a perfect time we were coincidentally at the sparehead of the whole 80s rock movement it was like at the very very beginning you know it was um, before bon jovi and the leopard and it was around the time that van halen came up basically so i mean obviously good timing and then very quickly from a person who thought, well, maybe I can't, I won't be making music as my career to having like a a, a, a billboard hit in the U.S. and all over the world. Um, success, and I don't know if success is the right word, and I don't know if you see it that way, but obviously international recognition and um, international, I guess, recognition all over the world came to you rather easily on, after the first album, and I think the second album did well. Um, what was that like for you? Well, it, it wasn't really easily, um, to be honest. Uh, I, I've been playing in bands ever since I was 14. And then when I was about 18, uh, I got, uh, before that I had, um, you know, some bands we, we played 
clubs and little youth homes for 30 people from from for 60 people carrying around your equipment in the middle of the night taking it back go to school uh, when i was um, 18 19 i put my first band together called teaser and we we ended up doing quite some shows in northern germany which was like an eight nine hour drive in a shitty little van um, you know picking up your equipment from the rehearsal room putting it in the back of a little van sitting behind the equipment between the equipment driving to north, north germany build up your equipment do the show take it back do it in the, put it in the bus drive back all the way come coming home at seven in the morning go straight to uh, art academy where i was on so it was not a, not an easy one but um i think it never never is maybe people win like one of the talent contests that are very popular these days you know like the voice and all the stuff they have like a sh generally they have a short run they go oh this is it they haven't crawled through the mud you know like like i think it should be done and that, that's that's what I've done, you know, and so it didn't come easy, but it came, and and that's still like a uh, like a very lucky thing because I know many musicians who, who who also crawled through the mud, so to speak, and who never got somewhere. So mm -hmm. when it did come, I was very very grateful, and I still am because there doesn't a day go by that I go, man, who would have thought I'm still making a, a living out of one of my passions. And I'm still surprised. Every morning I woke up in a luxurious hotel in my Whitesnake touring days for 12 years. I thought, man, if if this is going to stop tomorrow, nobody nobody's ever going to take those uh, memories away from me, you know? Um, when the third album, Alibi, didn't fare as well, and I don't know if you became a little more disillusioned with the music business, but what was that like after, you know, decent success with the first two albums? Well, um, it was, a, 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 of course, a little disappointing because I know it's a really good album and it's, it's still, it's probably overall the strongest album out of the three, although the first two ones are more spontaneous because we recorded in two weeks. The third one was the first one that was really a production. And um, the problem was um, uh, there was a change of the guards. Uh, the, the, the president of Atlantic who signed us, he left um, and um, he started his own record company we suddenly got a new A&R manager who was not a fan of this kind of music. It was a German guy. And he, he, he talked and talked into me. He go, man, you got to make music in the style of Duran Duran because that's hip right now. Rock is never going to make it. You know, it's not a period for rock. I go, what are you talking about, man? The Leppard, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, they're all doing huge business, you know? Yeah, but, you know, it's not my kind of music. So I thought, oh, man, this is not going to go well, you know? And, uh, and he was trying to prove himself because he was like a new A&R manager. So he didn't put any effort in our record. And there you go, you know. you can. There's so many bands who made great records and suddenly, bam, they're gone. But I did not, um, I was not really planning to, to stop Vandenberg. Um, I got a phone call about, from John Kolodner, the uh, A&R manager for um, Geffen Records at the time. And he was involved with... Um, Aerosmith with Whitesnake with Bon Jovi indirectly and uh, all kinds of bands. He called me up. He said, "You know, I I, I heard that you uh, you got rid of your uh, Atlantic um, contract. Would you like to come over to uh, to LA to to talk about a new contract?" I said, "Yeah, of course." So I flew over. He sent me a ticket. I got picked up by a limo. I go, "Wow, a limo!" You know. <laughs> so. Um, 
I went to his office and he said, well, I haven't been quite um, honest because I actually have two proposals for you. One is to form a completely new lineup for Vandenberg because he didn't think those guys were good enough. He wanted to put together a couple of high-profile American players, uh, guys like Billy Sheehan or whatever, you know. And um, I said, well, what's the second proposal? He goes, well, I, I would really like you to join uh, Whitesnake. And I had been asked by David two or three times before. I said, that sounds very familiar. And I said, I have to think about it for one or two days. And he said, well, while you're here, I would really like you to make a new guitar arrangement and put a Vandenberg-style solo on Here I Go Again. Because he said, John Sykes, an amazing player, as we all know. But he said, the way he played Here I Go Again, it, it sounded to John Colonna like a metal band playing a country and western song. Yeah. I said, well, you know, of course. I'd be happy to because I love the song and I, I've, I've been a fan of David way before I joined Whitesnake. So that's what I did. And, um, and then I decided, you know what? We can form a new lineup for Vandenberg, but I'm never going to find a singer of David Coverdale's caliber. He's, he's amazing, you know, and I was a fan. So, okay, that's it. So David and I were a duo for a couple of, uh, for two weeks or something because the rest of the lineup wasn't, completed yet so before i knew it tommy aldrich and rudy sarzo vivian campbell were in, in the team and that was it you know and then the band really exploded man did it explode yeah you know number one album number one single and then is this love was a number two single it was amazing sell out sold out stadiums and arenas everywhere and like i said before every morning i woke up in a luxurious hotel i go man this is it, you know, so if it's over tomorrow, nobody's going to take those um, memories and this experiences away from me. How do you keep yourself intact and not let things get to your head when, when things like that happen? Because I can imagine everybody's telling you how great you guys are. You're seeing the sales and the charts and, you know, everybody's just saying, you know, seeing the huge audience base. How does that affect you? For me, it was easy because... Um, First of all, that's how my parents are. And uh, that's also the Dutch tradition, you know, just keep your feet on the ground, you know. And uh, there was quite a lot of pressure from uh, the record company and management um, and, and then a little bit from David, you know, why do you come over and live in LA and, and you know, buy yourself a Ferrari or a Jaguar? I go, you know, man, I'm Dutch, you know, I'm just really happy with what I'm doing. I'm here for the music. And every time when there were there was more time off than a week and a half, I, I flew back to Holland uh, to see my, my, my parents and my, my family, uh, my brother, my sister, and my friends. I was not married at the time, and I still am not married. I've never been married. But um, um, that, that kept my feet on the ground. And I thought, great, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream, but that's not the real world. That's not how I looked at it, you know. I thought it's fantastic. It's great to hang around in Hollywood. It's great to, uh, to, to go to the Rainbow Bar and Grill and, and hang out with, with people like Lemmy and, and, and everybody and his grandma. But I'm a Dutch guy, you know, with a bit of luck, I'm going to be able to buy a house here, which I did. So the first time the band came over to my, uh, to my place over here in Holland, which I was really proud of, we played a, a German festival right across the border. So I, had, um, I threw a big party in, in my garden, in my backyard. At catering and, and all the stuff. And um, uh, they said, why do you live in such a small house? I said, man, for Dutch standards, this is a pretty big house, you know? 
it had four bedrooms and 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 and, a, and one bathroom and i thought it was great you know it was a dream for me and they go man it's small i go no it's not so it's you know i get my feet on the ground and i i've, I've never i've always realized also um i've been in this business for a long time and i i've also been a fan and i still am um all my favorite bands you know it's three four years and it's basically it you know and then you move on and you do something else you make you put another band together or whatever you know i thought i never thought i would i would end up being in whitesnake for 12 or 13 years you know but dave and i get on great and and, and we we made some great music together and we had great fun together socially and musically so it's always been easy for me you know to keep my feet on the ground that's where i am I'm a happy guy anyway, no matter what happens. And if I'm not happy in the music business, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to teaching art and whatever, you know. There was a point where, with White Snake, you you were having trouble playing, and I know it's a well documented story. But I just I just wonder how that made you feel when you all of a sudden you realized that your wrist wasn't working the way it should, and not not regarding the album, but regarding you as a player. What? How did that affect you when, when all of a sudden you, you couldn't do what you wanted to do? Yeah, it was, of course, um, incredibly frustrating, um, even though I found it quite an honor that somebody of Steve Vai's caliber was going to play the songs that, that I wrote for David. And at the same time, it was extremely frustrating because when people ask me now, you know, they're so curious how a Slip of a Tongue album would have sounded if I play it, they go, listen to the 2020 album and the Sin album, and that's how I had it in mind. Um, I, I I flew back to Holland and, and I saw treatment over here and they kind of fixed me up just in time to to be able to do the, the, the tour for Slip of a Tongue. And uh, like once or twice a week, I went to, to look for a physical therapist to, to keep it all going. Um, I found out years later in 1980, in 1998, I finally knew what was going on. I was in a car crash in the early 80s in 1981. And I got hit by another car, drove into the back of my car, I had a whiplash. So over the years, apparently I developed um, two neck hernias that pressed against the nerve that, that runs the, um, the nerves for the, the, the index finger and the thumb. So slowly but surely, I couldn't make those little moves again. Uh, difficult, you know, it, it felt like somebody was holding my wrist. So... Um, they removed those two neck hernias, but it never got back to what it was because over the years, um, you develop your, your body develops a, 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 a mechanism to compensate for those years that I, that that I slowly developed those uh, neck hernias, and slowly but surely they, they started pushing against those nerves. So the last couple of years, uh, already in the 1987 tour. I started playing more and more with my nails from my middle finger and my index finger. And that's what I'm slowly but surely started doing. And that's what I'm doing now. I don't use a pick anymore. I play with my fingers and with my nails. And I'm getting away with it because for me, the only thing that matters is what I, that I can translate what I hear in my head. And whether it's fast or slow, I don't care as long as I can translate it to my strings. And that's it. So whenever there's an obstacle in my way, I find a way around it. And they go, okay. It's like like what John Lennon, uh, a famous quote by John Lennon, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. 
you make this plan, oh, I'm going to do this and that, bam, okay, I'm going to have to adjust my plans. But I'm going to try to find that straight road back to where, what the main road of my life is, basically. At some point or another, you, you had a child and decided that you would go off the road and concentrate on your art and raising your child. Um, yeah. At that point, were you ever afraid... And I know it's so secondary, but was there ever a concern that what that would do for your musical career, or was that not even a consideration? It was a consideration. Uh, at the moment, I thought at some point I'll pick it up uh, when I'm old enough, when my daughter is old enough uh, that I can explain to her what I actually did. She saw me on TV regularly, and, and she got ang angry at the TV because I didn't wait back. When she was three, three or four, um, the relationship with her mom fell apart. And, and that's why I wanted to be a, a, a part of her upbringing. And um, so when she was 12, I explained it to her. She said, oh, wow, that's, that's really cool. So I put together my former band Moon Kings, which was uh, a little bit more heavy blues based than what I'm doing now. These albums, but it's still the same kind of zigzag between blues and rock. Um, so, yeah, um, I thought I'll pick it up at some point And whatever, if people will have forgotten about me, I can still... I can still play in wherever they want me, whether it's in Holland for, or whether it's somewhere for 60 people in Germany, or I don't care, as long as I can play. And as long as people are coming over to, to watch me play, it's fine with me, you know? Does it surprise you that, you know, you, re you released the Van Vandenberg album in 2020 and a new one in August of this year, and the longevity of that band, of yeah. you? It really surprises me, you know, because... When I started Moon Kings, I thought, well, everybody will have forgotten about me. It's a long time ago. Um, who knows? It's, these are different times. The whole grunge movement and then you know, rap and DJs and, and, and God knows what, you know. Authentic, organic, handmade music uh, became a different commodity. And um, But I've always been in it for the music. I will always find... A, I, I always had a plan also in the Weissnick days to put together a blues band with horns. At some point, I'm going to do it because I wrote new material for that. Uh, you know, along the lines of people like Steve Ray Vaughan and Jimmy Vaughan and, and that kind of stuff, you know, that, that's what I love to play too. Uh, there's always, uh, I know there's always going to be a way where I can play for 30 people or, or 300 people. And, and right now, I'm playing again for thousands of people, which still surprises me. But I'm thankful it because I never took it for granted, you know. And by now, People who have followed my career knows know that I'm one of those guys who doesn't take it for granted. I'm here for the music, and um, to my eternal gratefulness, they keep coming. You know. One thing that I find surprising is that you're known for your electric guitar, which which makes total sense. But your acoustic guitar work is pretty impressive, and and when I hear either the Moon Kings unplugged album or the stuff that you did with starkers in tokyo your your acoustic playing is quite impressive and i don't think you get the credit for that thanks very much man it's um it, it's it's it surprises me always when how it came about because um i just I taught myself to play with my with my fingers whenever i play something like sailing ships or whatever you know it comes really natural to me. I go, okay, this is what I want to do. I hear this music in my head. I go, how am how am am I going to translate that to the strings? I go, okay, then I'm going to need more fingers. You know, it's it's like a 
And I, when I see a classical player, I, I, I love classical guitar. You know, I listen very regularly to those guys. I go, oh, and, and then you see it on TV. Oh, I use all the fingers when I was a kid, you know. Okay, and I'll practice a little bit. And when you're at a certain age, uh, when you're young, uh, like really young, you just go head first into something. If you, if you want to do it, you don't even think about it too much how to do it. You you find a way to do it, whether you're a football player or a soccer player or whatever. You go, you look at those guys do it. Okay, that's, oh, there's something like this. Okay. And then <laughs> I figure it out. And sometimes it's complicated because uh, um, I have to find a place on the neck where I can find a way to, like for instance, in the, in the acoustic version of uh, sailing ships, I thought it would be nice uh, because I can't do a solo because I play it by myself. It would be nice if I come up with a little part in the middle of this kind of a solo type of melody. So I spent a couple of days to, to figure out the melody I was hearing in my head to play it somewhere on the neck of the guitar. And I found it and, I, and I'm happy with it. And and then I do it, you know. So very often I'm still that, that, that kid that is trying to find its way on the neck of the guitar. So it's a beautiful thing to me. It's it's always a miracle when I when I find the when I find a way to do it. Um, I I did notice that both on Starkies in Tokyo and on the Moon King's album cover, there's a dobro guitar. Yeah. But I don't know if you actually play that in either one of those collections. Yeah, I I play it on the um, on on the solo of um, out 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 of reach. Okay, that's the one. Oh yeah, okay. I wrote it for my daughter because I didn't see her. Uh, her mom uh, went in, in in the war mode um, after we split up, and I, uh, it was really difficult to get to see my daughter uh, for years and years. And I wrote the song for her because it was really difficult to to get to see her. And I was always thinking about her. I go, man, what's she doing? How is she doing? I hope I get to see her somewhere in the next couple of weeks. So she knows I wrote the song for her. So that's where I play the dobro and. Um, and the same thing on the um, on, on the, the the acoustic Moon Kings album. Um, I know I have to go, so can I ask one more question? Yeah, of course. As an as an artist, is is the approach to your art similar or very different to you as a musician in creating the songs that you do? Similar. It's very similar. I always start. I, I always realize I'm tapping from the same source. Is when I'm painting, I'm composing with colors and shapes. And when I'm cooking, I love cooking, I'm composing with flavors and balance. And when I'm writing, it's the same thing, but I'm composing with sounds. And, and you're looking for balance, and you're looking for light and shade, and for dynamics and, and all the stuff, you know? So, yeah, I look, for me, it's the same thing. And when, when I was growing up, I was surprised that not everybody did it, you know, because it felt so natural to me. So, yeah, I'm a lucky bastard, you know? That's... I really realized that. So that's one of the, that has a lot, everything to do with the fact that I never took it for granted because I realized I'm lucky. My, my brother has no talent, uh, at least not for music and, uh, and art, but he loves it. Uh, but my brother uh, is talented in, in other parts. You know, he, he, he's a colonel in the, in the army, um, which is something completely different. Right now he's an ambassador, but... Um, that's it. That's where his talents are. But, but I'm always really grateful that I got these two, two talents, you know, and I go, man, 
there's so many people who you know have to come up with a job think what i'm going to do well i'm going to work in the factory i'm going to do bookkeeping and you know so that's why i never take it for granted it's i'm a lucky bastard well thank you so much for doing this as i said i've been trying to get you for about five years or something so oh, it's man. a real thrill for me to actually talk to you and uh i really appreciate you taking this time well i really enjoyed the conversation you know it's like when you're talking about your passions it never feels like work it's um and I still find it fascinating that people are interested in what I do because I do it because that's what I do, you know? Well, so. it's it's amazing when I think about first hearing you in 82, 83 and, and, you know, I've been listening to your new album and it still moves me and it's still, I'm still a fan. So that speaks Great. volumes, I think. Thanks very much. And take care. Hope to see you somewhere on the road. Who All knows? right. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. <laughs>